Hello, it's Pete here, and welcome to EdTech Innovators. This week, we have Dr. Tim Jordan, who has his own podcast, so I'm very excited. I'm also excited about the fact that he's going to talk about how to develop leadership skills and promote well-being among teenagers. Enjoy! The first thing we talked about was Tim's location, which is St. Louis, Missouri, which is between the Mississippi and the Missouri Rivers. Thanks for having me. And you're across the pond too, so that's even more fun. Right, right downtown in St. Louis is where they, those two meet. They call it the gateway to the west because it was. Yes, my, yeah, where my, my wife and I live, well, just in a suburb, you know, maybe oh, about a half hour from downtown. We're both from here originally. I, I left for a long time with my training, but we came back because, you know, we, we had kids by then. We wanted our kids to be around their families, so. Not far for yeah. It's only like about a, I think about a four or five hour drive from here. Sure, my I have three kids. My daughter uh, has been married about ten years, and she has a uh, her and her husband have a three and a half year old little boy, and they've been staying with us for a week because they sold a house and they bought one, and they're moving in in about a week. So they've been with us in between houses, and we're all leaving for uh, Michigan, a little outside of Chicago, where my one of my sons lives, uh, and he's getting married on Sunday. So everybody's converging on that little town in Michigan. So it'll be fun. A lot of our old friends will, will show up and some of the, our camp people who you know, my son has known for a long time. So that's going to be really fun. And then when we get back on Monday, uh, on the following weekend, we start our first summer camp. I did my walk my daughter down the aisle. I'm not sure about the son, although he's the last one to be married. So we might be like the tears of joy. I don't, well, I've, I've been counseling kids. I'm a pediatrician by original background. But I did a two-year fellowship in something called developmental and behavioral pediatrics. So after practicing medicine for about three years, about 30 years ago, I stopped doing that. I just started to counsel kids, you know, one an hour. Um, and then about 15 years ago, I think, I started seeing just girls. So the, the majority of my counseling practice now is girls who are in middle school, high school, and, and university. And the girls in general, way before COVID, their levels of anxiety have always been higher than boys especially in those, in those adolescent years. But uh, because of COVID, it's really gone up. So my counseling practice has been really um, bustling, if you will. And this, it's not just young girls. It's also women in college. They feel disconnected. I, I, you know, Part of it for some of them is they don't learn well virtually. Some people can pull it off and it's not that big a deal. For some kids, especially kind of um, kids who need to have a teacher there, you know, who, who need more hands-on learning. Those kids have struggled. But the biggest struggle I found and the biggest stressor for those girls has been not being with their friends. In, uh, in, in our city here, uh, you know, kids were virtual until about, um, oh, I guess uh, the fall or for some, you know, not till after the holidays. And so they had, you know, a good uh, half or more of a school year where they were at home. And their parents would let them, you know, see their friends, you know, for good reason. And so that did, that didn't start opening up until, you know, like this spring for a lot of those kids. So they're really struggling. And it's it's okay. It's fun to talk to your friends on, you know, FaceTime or, or on social media, but it's just not the same as, as adults have also found out. So I think the biggest stressor for most of them was just feeling really disconnected. Yeah. When I grew up, I had two older brothers. We were all like one year apart. And my parents said, oh, my gosh, we'll never have any girls. And then he had five girls. And so I, I had five younger sisters. And the youngest two were nine and 10 years younger. And so I, I started you know, taking care of little girls back when I was 10 years old. 
I did diapers, I babysat, I, you know, I was, I was like their second dad because my dad was gone a lot, uh, working long hours to, to afford eight kids. And so I think that my comfort with girls and I think my love of working with girls, I'm sure it started way back, way back then. Yeah, I, I did all virtual visits starting last, well, I guess March of 2020 and, and did that all the way through until I guess it was the winter. I think maybe October-ish, somewhere around there, things started loosening up and we had moved into a new office. I, I, have, a, I have a bigger office. It's long. And so I, I put my chair about... 15 feet from the couch where they sit with, with our, with our dog who comes to the office. I, had, I put an air filter in between us and they, they wore masks into the building, but then once they were sitting on the couch, um, they took their masks off and it worked. You know, I think it, I, it was so hard to do it virtually. Um, some of the girls I had known before and had counseled before. So I knew them some, you know, some of them may have been at camp before, or I may have you know seen them two or three or five times, whatever. So those, for those girls, it was okay. But for the new ones, it was really tough. You know, because my job you know, as, a, as a counselor is, is first and foremost is to, is to make a relationship with them, feel safe and comfortable to share and to talk and to be open. And it, you can do that virtually, virtually like this. It's just harder. Um, some of the girls, I, I gave an option of keeping their masks on, the officer not. And the ones who kept their mask on, it was hard to understand them. And it was funny, like halfway through, I'd say, can you just lower your mask? I just want to see what you look like. And they would pull their masks down and be like, oh, I didn't expect you to look like that. <laughs> we started back you know, in person and, I, and they took their masks off. It was so much easier. And the same thing happened with our camps. Last summer, we did two weeks of summer camp. We did weekend retreat camps this whole school year. But every kid and every staff got tested two or three days before. So they weren't allowed under the property unless they had a negative test. And then once they got there, and, and we didn't even let the parents out of their cars. We were trying to create a bubble, you know, where everybody was tested and negative. And once we did that, we took our masks off. And those kids were so happy, play and connect and be with people, not to think about it and worry about it. And, it, and we, it, we did fine. We never had any problems at all. We're, we're doing the same thing this summer. This summer now, a lot of them are going to be uh, vaccinated. To play and to connect and to not have to think about it and worry about it. It was such a blessing for them. Oh no! I think they're. I think that I hope they're the same people, person, whatever. Um, I think in the office, obviously, it's one on one, so it's more focused. But you know, part of our camp week, besides running around and canoeing and hiking and swimming and all that, and making uh, friendship bracelets like the ones you can see, but your audience can't. Besides doing the fun camp stuff, every morning we have two age groups at each week. Like this first week coming up is grade school girls, girls in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, girls in seventh, eighth, ninth. And then the second camp week this summer has middle schoolers and high schoolers. We only have about 25 of each. So it's a small camp compared to most. Most camps around here have like hundreds of kids. But we, in the morning time, we separate the two age groups. And then we go to a room and we put carpeting and padding down. And then we sit in a circle and then we talk about life. We talk about you know, adversities that they're going to. We, we teach them skills about about uh, handling their negative self-talk or about how to make friends or how to handle friendship drama or blah, blah, blah. We talk about body image. We talk about typical you know, everyday kind of growing up issues that girls in grade school or middle school or high school are going through. But most of them don't have a safe place like that to talk about stuff, especially with their peers, because they don't trust them at school because there's so much rumors and gossip and drama and things. So they love having a safe little 
little circle to talk and share and learn from each other and and to realize I'm not the only one. So I think that Tim is is very similar to the office Tim. It's just I'm used to I'm used to helping to create a safe environment, kids a chance to talk and share and grow and learn and and it's interesting when at the end of the week most of the girls would say that was their favorite part of the week. We have a tremendous amount of fun, trust me, but 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 that's that's unique. I think that's a unique thing that our camps do that probably nobody else does. Yeah, I would say it's a, it's a break from technology. I wouldn't say it's anti-technology because I'm not anti-technology. And when they can go for a whole week and have no phone, no electronics, some of the older girls, when they hand their phone to their parents at the check-in table, are, are shaking practically. <laughs> like, and, and adults would do the same, by the way. It's not just middle school or high school girls. At the end of the week, I've done this for the past half dozen years. I asked the group at the, on the last day, how many of you missed your phone? And guess what? Nobody missed their phone. This is not prompted. What they'll say is, it was so nice not to have to worry about it. I didn't have to worry about keeping my likes going or keeping my streak going, or I didn't have to worry about my friend who's depressed. I didn't have to worry and get stressed. It was so nice to let it go and just for a week, fully present with the people I was with. We, we walk everywhere. You know, the, the pace slows down. We walk and we talk. How many times do kids get a chance to do that without someone whipping a phone out and then all of a sudden they're all got their phones out and then nobody's really connecting. So they get a chance for a week or a weekend during our school years to really experience what it's like to be more mindful, to be present, to connect at a deeper level. And, and so then we encourage them you know, on their own to take breaks during the year. They got a chance to experience, you know, the value of that. Well, when their parents show up and they get their, their hand, their phone over, they look at their phone. So it's not like they're like, I'll never use my phone again. But I think they're way more mindful about taking care of themselves. Some of them go right back to it probably, but, but a lot of our girls come back year after year. And they may come for a week in the summer. Then they may come to one of the weekends during the school year. It's like a little booster shot. Sit back down and go, okay, let me just check in with myself. And we encourage them. We, we teach them some self-quieting skills. Because in this culture today, I think we do a great job of teaching kids to be busy and distracted. And there's lots of ways to be distracted, obviously, with all the devices and things. We don't do a good job of teaching them how to be alone and quiet. And a lot of girls avoid that like the plague because they just get so antsy. And then all the things that they're trying to distract themselves from come bubbling up and then it's hard to shut it off because they're not used to letting it go, processing through things, expressing things. So I think a lot of them do pick up, we practice things like journaling. We do some little visualizations. We do some meditative kinds of things, some mindfulness kinds of things. I think a lot of them do use those kind of self-quieting kind of skills because a lot of them, as I said before, get anxious for just kind of normal everyday kinds of reasons. We teach them some really good skills about relationships, about handling their friendships and drama. I, I, just, I was just reading through the forms for the, for the first group just before we, before we came on. And a couple of the kids who've been before, their mom said she's doing so well using her tools from camp you know, with her friends. And it's so good to see that. She's been much less stressed. So you know, they, need, they need to learn those skills. The schools don't do that. I think schools should take time to have little class meetings every week and to talk about stuff and to teach them skills to resolve conflicts peacefully and to create intentions for so the kids can take charge of the learning atmosphere. So it's not just the adults, you know, supervising them. But I think a lot of schools don't do that because they're so invested in grades and tests and whatever, especially in our country. Maybe it's not as bad in, in, uh, in England, but it is in this country. And so I think that stuff gets 
pushed aside for the, for the purpose of we got to get everybody in a straight A's going to top colleges. And they forget about the part about growing up, social, emotional learning skills, which are so important. Well, I, the, the oldest people I counsel are in college. So they're adults, young adults, whatever you want to call. It. I don't counsel people who are 30 or 50 or whatever. Um, but I know, you know, I, I talk to the parents because they bring their kids in, at least for the younger ones. And I do think they, they, they struggle. And there's lots of data that shows that people are less happy today than they were, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. That the level of anxiety and stress for people has gone up. Uh, this, is, and this is way before COVID. This is just in general. So I think a lot of people aren't taking care of themselves. A lot, of, a lot of adults don't get enough sleep, just like a lot of teenagers don't get enough sleep. A lot of adults are spending too much time on their phones and their devices. I, I saw some data. Um, where I think adults spend, I can't remember how many hours a day it was on all of their devices. It was like eight or 10 hours or something. And uh, somebody counted up, if you use that to read or, or learn how to play guitar or something, that there's you know hundreds and thousands of hours every year that we quote-unquote waste, but a lot of it is. When you're scrolling walls and you're buying stuff and you're just sort of bored and distracted and all that, that is kind of wasted time. There's, way, there's probably more fruitful things that we could be doing with our time. Well, I guess one way to look at it would be that um, I always say that kids tend to reflect the adults around them. So for instance, if I see a kid in my counseling practice who's angry and they're acting out and all that, then I always, also besides talking to the kid, I also look and say, I wonder what's going on around them. Because is mom, are mom and dad fighting? Is one parent yelling a lot? Is one parent angry and frustrated and taking it out on their kids? Because kids tend to reflect the adults around them. They just That's why during COVID, when parents have been very, a lot of parents have been anxious, a lot of uncertainty, people are losing their jobs, worrying about, worrying about getting COVID, worrying about older relatives getting sick, all that. I think because there's a lot of that going on in the adult world, I think our kids reflected that too. That was part of it. So I think it's, I don't think it's as easy to say we had a, a nutty president, therefore everybody's going to be nutty. But I think, but I think that was a reflection of what's going on in the culture. Yeah. And I think, you know, people have tried to, to tie in like a one-to-one -one uh, ratio of you know, a social media came at like 10 or whatever years ago, and the amount of anxiety and different things have gone up in the last 10 or 15 years. So they tried to make like a direct correlation, like, oh, that caused it. But I think it's one piece of the puzzle, why kids are more stressed. You know, one of the things, you're in education, one of the things I've found that's causing the most stress in the girls that I see is that, at least this is true in the US, and I, I think it is in your country, because I've been interviewed a bunch of times in the last year, I've done, I've done some retreats in Europe and talk, I did some father-daughter retreats and listened to girls. But anyway, I think what, what, we, what we're doing in this country, at least, is we're trying to smash every kid on this one narrow path. Like you work your, your butt off in school and everybody should get straight A's. And if you don't get straight A's, you're tested for a learning disability or ADD and maybe even put on meds. That's an exaggeration, but not exactly. And so, and, and the purpose of those straight... If, if this was, if I was talking to a room of adults, which I've done dozens of times, I'll ask them, honey, if you want your kids to get good grades in, in grade school, middle school, they all raise their hand. And why? Well, I want my kid to get into good high school. Oh, and how many of you want your kids to get straight A's in high school? Good grades. Everybody raises their hand. Why? I want them to go to a good college. They don't say to college. They say like a top college, an elite college. 
And I'll say, well, why do you want your kids to go to an elite college or a top college so they can get a really good job? Why do you want your kids to get a good job so they can make a lot of money? That's, and that kind of slips out of their mouth and they go, oh, that doesn't sound so, so great. But that's, that's what they say. And if I ask a room full of high school girls that question, those questions, that I just asked like those parents, I've done this dozens of times, the exact same thing comes out of their mouth. Whole life is about getting, going to a top college, getting a great job, being a CEO of a Fortune 100 company and making a lot of money. And a lot of kids don't fit that, that path. They also, the other stressor I've seen with education is, and I'm, I, I ran a weekend retreat for grade school girls. These are girls who are seven, eight, and nine, maybe a few 10-year-olds, but young girls, right? We had 25 of them. This was about a month ago. And one of the things we talked about that weekend was, was stress and being worried because that group, that was one of their themes. And so we said, what are you guys so stressed about? What are you worried about? What do you think the answer was for, for these nine, 10-year-old girls? What would you guess? It wasn't grades. It wasn't middle school. It wasn't high school. Their, their top answers were college and their future. Hearing that in high schoolers and middle schoolers in the last 10 years, a lot more and more. But I'm hearing it now, even down as far as grade school. They're worried about their future because this, there's this whole pressure from the educational system, their parents, and their parents have absorbed this frantic, like, like I had my kids in the best schools and get all these top grades and the best sports teams. We've all absorbed that. And these kids are stressed out. And I, I encourage, when I see girls in high school, um, they also are stressed out because they think at the age of 18 or 20 or 16, they have been led to believe that you should know your life story. You should know what college you're going to, what your major is, uh, what your career path is, what's your, what's, what's your job going to be. They think that they should know that. And if they don't, they feel behind and they get really stressed out. So I tell them, interview every adult that you bump into and ask them, when you were my age, did you? Did you know you'd be doing what you're doing now at age 50 or 40 or 60? I tell them, I guarantee that most adults had no idea that most of us zigzagged our way to wherever we are when we find our thing, our calling, our purpose. But they don't know that because they're told something totally different. And that's really stressful because it, life does just not work that way. It's all stone. It's all in stone. It's like there's no, either you need to know that and then you need to, you know, kind of stay in that and on that path. I ask kids, um, in my office, I say, what percentage of people in the U.S., and I'm not sure what it is in Britain, so I apologize, but in the U.S., I'll say, what percentage of people between the ages of 25 and 35 have a four-year college degree? And most of them guess, you know, 70, 80, 65, and I'll say, wrong, wrong, wrong. In the U.S., it's 30. Only 30% of people who could have, you know, had plenty of time to get their four-year degree have one. So the, the, the message isn't don't go to college, but the message is it's not for everybody. That path is not for everybody. You should, you should be smashed under that path. You need to start thinking for yourself, what's right for me? Go to college because everybody else is or because my parents are making me or because of that you know, line of thinking like top job, top money and all that. So you need to start thinking for yourself. Yeah, and I also tell you know, these people when they're in it, like by the time they're 17, 18, that kind of age, I also tell them that at that point in your life, you're the one who's got to start knowing what's, what's best for you not your parents. They love you. They care about you. They've known you for 18 years. They may have some ideas about what, you know, what's good for you. And I would always listen. I'd listen to your teachers. I'd listen to your grandparents. I would listen to your parents, but then go to your room and close the door and filter that through. But is that right for me? Does that resonate with me? What does my gut say? And because, because at some point it's, it's your job to know what's right for you. It's not, 
It's not your parents' job anymore. And parents sometimes don't like to give that up. And they hold on tight, especially in these days, in this day and age. But I think that's one of the things that's, that's causing stress in kids is they're not, they're not living their life for themselves. They're making choices to not disappoint people or to please people or to not make people mad or because everybody else is or because, you know, it's, it's hard to go down a different path. And I, I want them to find their path. I, I, I developed um, what I call my dot theory years ago. And when I show this to girls, I'll ask them if they've ever done a connect the dot drawing. Have you ever done one of those? There's a picture with just a bunch of dots with numbers and you look at it and you go, what is that? I have no idea. So you start connecting dots. And eventually you connect enough dots, you go, oh, I think it's going to be, oh, it's a clown. Oh, it's a clown. So at the end, it's all connected. And then you see what the final picture is. So that's a metaphor I, I teach girls. I tell them, you don't need to know the final picture of your life, like your career, your calling. When you're 15, 18, 22, you don't need to know the final picture. I tell them your job is just to be open to dots. And dots, in, in my mind, are experiences that cross your path that you feel drawn to because it seems like fun, seems interesting. I don't know. It just seems like the right thing to do right now. I tell them to take those dots and experience it. And then another dot comes along and then another dot. And eventually I tell them without you having to force it, those dots will connect for you. Your life will unfold for you. And every time you do a dot, you learn something about you, about what you like. You learn something about your aptitude, your, your passions, and you pick up a skill. And then you could do another dot and eventually the picture starts to form. I tell them that is how most adults have done their lives. I you to trust that instead of trying to force your way you know, through. I've traveled all over the world giving talks to, to adults. I've been to 18 or 19 countries now. And, I've, and one of the things my wife and I have done is we've run some like parent-child retreats, mother-daughter, father-daughter, uh, all over, all over the world. And so we get to spend three, four days with people, have meals, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, so, and these are successful people. A lot of like, there's an organization that who hires us. And so I'm always asking them, how did you get here? What was your background? And, and, and so I've, I've heard literally thousands of stories about how people became successful in their, in their career. And almost nobody visualized it when they were 18. They didn't go A to Z. They went A, B, C, D. You know, they, they did a dot drawing. Basically, they meandered. Um, there's the book that came out, I guess, about a year ago called Range. Have you, have you read that book? A good book. And uh, in essence, the author is saying that if you interview people who are at the top of their fields, whether you're an athlete or a painter or a violinist or whatever, that most of those people didn't pick up the, the, the violin when they were five. And that's all they did for the, the next 15 years. They didn't start playing soccer when they were five and only play soccer. They did a range of things. And they learned pieces from each of those things that they did. Now, they may have ended up doing one thing more by the time they were in you know, high school or when they were older. But most professional athletes didn't play one sport. They played a number of sports. But in our culture, at least in the U.S., kids are not learning that. They, when they get on these, these super-duper pooper you know, club travel sports teams, they call them, when there's five or six, the coaches are like, you play this sport. They're traveling, all these, they're traveling on weekends. They're never around. That's just not how most successful adults did it. So I want kids to try things, experiment with things, different things. So that you take pieces from everything. It happened without like a, a, a plan like they knew. For most people, it, it's, it's not like this definite plan where I'm 18 and I went once, you know, I went right to it. It's more like, I, I don't know, I did this and that led to that. And I then met this guy and then he connected me with this person. And then 
you know, all of a sudden here I am at age 40, 50, 60, and I'm doing my thing. In my summer, in my summer camps, when we're just sitting around in the evenings talking or whatever, hanging out, uh, we pull the yarn out and the kids make braces. I, so I didn't make any of these. These are ones that girls made me, most of them last summer. Yeah. And these are going to come off soon because when the new summer starts, I want new ones. This is, this is one of my many binders that I bring to camp. Can you see these? A couple of backpacks like that. And I'll go to camp in, in two weeks. And one of the girls who made me a bracelet last summer said, where's my bracelet? Because it may have fallen off. When they fall off, come over here. I'll show you. It's on my backpack. Because it's meaningful to me if they make me a bracelet. I'm like the old guy at camp, right? I'm not one of the cool young counselors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. I say it's on my backpack. Look in there somewhere. It's it's there. First the wedding and then camp. Yeah, the camps, we do a lot of different things. My wife, the counseling, and I, I do a lot of writing. I've written six books, and we've done some online courses, and we travel, and and then we do the retreats, and blah, blah, blah. We do a lot of different things. But I think my favorite thing, and I think probably the best thing we do, are the retreats in the camps. I think girls, this is true for boys too, but I chose to work with girls. I think girls need a safe space to kind of pull away. And it's like a, a second family. Talk and share and grow and learn um, um, and feel connected and and support each other and, and make friends for life. I think that's so valuable for them because um, they're just not learning those, those awarenesses and those skills in other places. Yeah, she leads a practical guide for raising girls who ab advocate, influence, and lead. What I, what I, one of the things I realized was one of the things that we do at our camps is we raise leaders because a lot of these kids, the ones who come year after year, a lot of them end up becoming, you know, counselors in training and then part of our staff. And now we're old enough now that, you know, some of them are actually teaching the camps. Like we have like two people who kind of lead, you know, the big group. And so I thought, <clears throat> we do a good job of that. And I also was thinking in terms of, for years, the last 40 years plus, we've been talking about empowering girls, empowering women, um, and you know, raising girls who, you know, who are powerful and all that. But yet, I, there was very little information that I found, like, well, how do you do that? How do you raise a girl to that end, if you will? And so I, that's why I decided to, um, to, to write the book, to dispel some myths, and to give parents some you know, concrete ways, some things they can do um, to help the girls. Let me give you an example. Um, if a girl comes home and she's complaining about um, her, her coach, her soccer coach, because the soccer coach isn't playing her enough or she's not you know, uh, playing the girls equal amounts or whatever, instead of <clears throat> leaving her in a complaining mode, <clears throat> excuse me, I, teach, I, I tell parents, have your daughters get in the shoes of the leader. So if you were the, the coach, how would you handle it? If you were the principal of your school and this issue was coming up, how would you handle it? If you were president of the United States and you're um, uh, having, to, having to handle this COVID thing, how would you have done it? Because if they start putting themselves in the, in the shoes of leaders and trying to problem solve for the, like a leader, then they start seeing themselves as a leader instead of a victim. Um, so lots of examples of things kind of like that that helps helps parents to kind of help girls develop those leadership skills. That's the other thing I'll say in the, I say in the book is there's a chapter about how we need to redefine leadership. We need to redefine what we mean by strength and courage because it's kind of a masculine, you know, male-driven model that we've always sort of gone by because men have ruled the world for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so what we try and do is we try and 
what we've been doing is trying to get women and girls to change themselves to fit into that model. When the reality is there's a lot of really important leadership qualities that, that are more feminine. That's in this day and age, I'll, people, your audience is probably going to start yelling at me. Like we, there was a, a good book I read oh, half dozen years or so ago called The Athena Doctrine. And a couple of these two authors went around the world to, I think it was 40 different cultures and asking about what are the qualities in your culture you would say are more masculine qualities of leadership versus feminine. And they found the same list pretty much in every country. And so, you know, if, when you ask, if I ask a girl, which I've done a million times, you know, what are our, who are the heroes in your, in your, our country? They say first responders, police, soldiers in war, professional athletes. If I ask them who are the leaders in your school, they say the student council president, the captain of the team, the queen bee, most popular, you know, whatever girl. And most girls don't fit that description. Then they feel like I'm not a leader. But how about the girl who brings the class together? How about the girl who, who wears whatever she wants and doesn't care what people think? How about the girl who can handle her conflicts with her friends directly and, and work things through instead of avoiding it because she's so afraid of you know, ruffling feathers? The girl who advocates for herself. How about the girl who doesn't compare herself? How about the girl who stands up to people? How about the girl who notices somebody who's sitting by themselves and, and goes and invites them to the table? Those to me are leadership qualities that don't get noticed as much as the other ones. So if we start acknowledging all those ways that girls are brave and strong and show leadership, then they'll start to, again, see themselves as leaders. That's another way of looking at leadership and strength and courage, as opposed to tough, you know, competitive, successful, you know, scratching and clawing to the top of the ladder. Oh, well, you know, everybody has to find their own path and everybody's, I don't, the book isn't about raising every girl to become the CEO of a Fortune 10 company or something. It's not. It's more about being the leader of your life, leader of yourself, knowing yourself, understanding yourself, understanding other people, knowing what makes people tick, being able to negotiate uh, through your life and get what you want, be able to keep your power and not give it away, which is what a lot of girls and a lot of women do. So it's more about finding those sorts of things and those kind of qualities and developing those within yourself. Yeah, it's great to meet you too. Yeah. Thanks. I really appreciate you having me. I really do. Well, that was it from Dr. Tim Jordan. Next week, we have Aftab Hussein, who has a very exciting take on artificial intelligence. Until then, thank you very much for listening. See you later.